Do you feel that in a time when we are more connected than ever, we are drifting away from real human connection, especially to ourselves? I do. Hi, I'm Leticia Latino, and I want to invite you to join me and my very inspiring guests in exploring ways to reconnect to your essence, to your definite purpose, to what makes you tick. Are you ready? Hello and welcome to a new episode of Back to Basics, reconnecting to the essence of you. Ushering in a new era of bite-sized, livable health, nutrition, and fitness solutions, Patricia Greenberg, Aging Well Coach, is an expert in all aspects of living life to the fullest at any age. As the creator of Eat Well, Live Well, Age Well, she consults, teaches, and hosts a weekly show and speaks at seminars nationwide. She has a special interest in enhancing the education of the general public and providing accurate health information to you and me. Hello, Patricia, and welcome to Back to Basics. Hello, Letitia. How are you? I'm very, very happy and excited to have you on the show. Thank you. Because I think that uh, we can all resonate with, you know, healthy lifestyle is something that I think it's uh, always a goal, no matter what, it doesn't get old. So I, I always, you know, welcome the opportunity to interview people that have written books about it and all that. But I'm usually also more interested in that journey, like from the beginning as a little girl, is this something that you envisioned yourself doing? What were you passionate about in those young years? Not at all. And, you know, it's funny that people always say to me, well, you know, you don't know what it's like to struggle with weight or you don't know what it's like to take on your first 5K or just, you know, get off the couch. Nothing could be further from the truth. I was a chubby, unathletic child, <laughs> and I loved to play with my dolls. I was always girly, and I I struggled with eating well and, and fitness from a very young age. And it was something that I always say due to my generation, I'm 61, and so I was a child in the 60s and a teenager in the 70s, and it was a very, very, very distinct line of demarcation between the athletic kids and the non-athletic kids. Mm-hmm. And in those days, uh, teachers and coaches would participate in the bullying and the shaming of the kids who were not athletic mm-hmm. and not leaning towards health. And I think a lot of that comes from, you know, what you were encouraged to do with your family. Uh, my older brother and sister took to athletics very naturally. I didn't. And I went to dancing school. That was my thing from the time I was three till I was 16. Mm-hmm. And we ate what our parents put on the table. I mean, that was the reality. And my mother in those days did cook and had food at home. So I did not grow up on fast food. That came a little bit later. But uh, to fast forward on that journey, I was in high school. You know, I I was pretty much friends with everybody, but I was not athletic or on any of the, the, the teams. We all smoked in high school. I wasn't a drug addict. I kind of bypassed that whole thing. But that's what we did. We drank coffee and ate French fries for lunch and drank tab. If anybody remembers what tab is, that was our soda of choice. That was the diet drink. We we, we all thought we were going to stay healthy and thin by drinking tab soda. Mm -hmm. And right around 21, I was 21 years old, and I was sitting out in the backyard of my family home. And I remember thinking, I didn't feel great. It wasn't like I felt sick or horrible. And I thought, you know, this is because I'm, I'm not taking care of myself. I don't know. It was like a lightning bolt. I, I don't know how that struck me, but it did. And 
I stopped. I was recreationally smoking. I stopped smoking. I watched what I was eating. I watched what I was drinking. I joined a gym and it was like a total transformation. And at the time I was going to college and I was studying to be, my aspiration was to be a dentist and I was taking pre-med and in order to graduate in those days, the girls had to have a home ec class. So you had glorified cooking, uh, childcare and sewing, and it was called, you know, nutrition, uh, family studies and textiles. So I took a nutrition class and I loved it so much and I changed my major and I ended up having to stay in college a little longer because, mm-hmm. you know, there was a lot of prerequisites that go with that. But it became a, a way of life. I started out as a hospital dietitian, and then I went into um, the food and the restaurant business, and I opened up a vegetarian restaurant. I had that for a few years. That was a big undertaking. I and imagine. I wanted to learn more about how to marry nutrition and cooking. So I went to culinary school. I took a six-month program. And my first job out was um, with an airline. And we set up the food service from the United States to Hawaii to Japan. And I learned a lot about cuisines of the Pacific and what was considered healthy and what was considered delicacies. You know, it was a wonderful learning experience. You know, like I said, the the rest is history. And then I just went on to teach nutrition in culinary schools. I taught chefs how to make foods nutritious, dispel all the myths about nutrition. People have such very set ideas from wherever they learn them. You know, I grew up with the four food groups and then we had the pyramid and then we had the Mediterranean pyramid and every country and every ethnicity and culture really has their own idea of what's healthy. But now that we've, you know, we dig down deep and we see that there are a lot of similarities and that's why plant-based diets have come to be in the forefront because for most cultures, Cultures who eat plants as the majority of their food tend to do better, and that means they live longer. So that's been the connection of eating, fitness, and living long. You know, where does the fitness come in? So for me, the fitness came in. I joined a gym. I started to take care of myself, and I moved to L.A. for a teaching job at the Los Angeles Culinary Institute. And I was sitting on the couch one Sunday afternoon. It says, train for the L.A. Marathon. I thought, I go to the gym three days a week. I'm a nutrition teacher. I could do this. So I joined the program and it was 50 bucks and I went on to run the LA Marathon and it was was a horrible storm. It was hailing and raining. And I said, well, I'm never doing that again. And my friend approached me, let's run the New York Marathon. I said, (laughs) Sam, I'm 35. I'm built like a cherub. I'm not going to run the New York Marathon. He goes, oh, let's try. We probably won't get in, but let's try. And we got in and I ran the New York Marathon that same year. Wow. I went on to do 20 marathons and 110 half marathons. Over the course of um, from 1995 through 2015. And so now what I do is I just enjoy my fitness. I still love extreme sports, but like I said, I'm in my 60s, so I'm trying to preserve. And I do tower climbing, which are competitive races upstairs. I do tons of work. That sounds interesting. Eh? Very interesting. You, you know, I sell towers for a living, telecommunication oh, towers. So oh, I'm like, okay. I should have you climb one of those, uh, <laughs> promote the industry. Yes, <laughs> yes. So, the, so you're doing well, doing good, and getting fit at the same time. Exactly. So I climb the Empire State Building. I climb the World Trade Center, the Hancock Tower in Chicago. Oh, my God. The U.S. Bank Building and the Aon Building in L.A. And uh, now I'm looking this fall as to which, which uh, races I'm going to do. But they're wonderful. And you can just walk. You know, it sounds extreme. People, that's why I said, let's circle back to earlier. People say, well, you know, you don't know what it's like to start out. I do. I remember, 
you know, what it was like the first time I, you know, I did stair climbing. I was in my 50s and I hadn't done it before. And the men were finishing in nine minutes and the women were finishing in 12 minutes. And there I was at 25 minutes. But still, it it's so good for you. I don't care about the time. I don't care to win. I don't care where I place. I just do it. So every Sunday, I have a group of girlfriends here in Los Angeles. And we do local 5Ks. So we walk and we talk and we catch up. And we get a medal at the finish line just for being there and showing up and, and seeing it through. So that's that's my message is that wow. just do something good for yourself. You don't have to do all of the above. You don't have to go and throw everything out in your refrigerator and start all over. Just little increments at a time. Drinking more water, increasing your fruits and vegetables. And I always say, especially now through the pandemic, just have an apple a day, an orange a day, incorporate a little bit more salad into your day. And if you miss, you miss, you know, just just do it at your own pace because every little bit helps. And Mm -hmm. um, as far as aging well, there is some God-given predispositions, but the more we pay attention to how we are feeling on a daily basis, I always circle back to that. You may not enjoy the foods that I eat. You may not enjoy the fitness activities that I take. So you have to find your own path. Mm-hmm. That's uh, very good advice. My God, it's uh, the, your story is fascinating in the sense that I can relate to you that uh, when I was growing up, my Sicilian mom <laughs> and her delicious food, <laughs> you know, it was like I was not tiny and I always struggled with weight, but I was always very active. But yeah. it took some time to kind of finding that balance. And I think a lot of people, exactly what you say, that it's not that you one day there's going to be a lightning bulb and you, you have to find, and it's a trial and error exercise to find yeah. that sport, that physical activity that really gives you something extra that gives you that motivation. Because I mean, and you're a wellness coach, so you can enlighten us. But I think the biggest challenge is finding that motivation, that drive. How do we find the drive when when we look for it and it's nowhere to be found? You know, that that is the million dollar question. And, and what, uh, again, I even have come full circle because I Earlier in my career, I would be a little bit more like, don't eat that, you know, get that out of your diet. That's not good for you kind of thing. And now I've gotten away from food being good and bad. It's just food. Like decisions are not good and bad. They're decisions. And then later in life, you say, that was a really bad decision. But at the time, it was the decision that you made. So that's why, you know, when we say what motivates us, what, you know, what is your end goal? So one of the things I like to say is we kind of flip this. What do I have to do today to to live longer and so I don't get sick later in life? Where do you want to be later in life? That should be the motivating factor. When I get older, where do I want to be? Do I want to be in a home? Do I want to be in my own home? Do I want to be surrounded by friends and family? Do I want to live near a park? Do I want to live near water? Do I want to be in cold weather? And those are goals. And when you find that goal and say, that's where I want to, the motivation to get you there is is what will strike you. You'll say, okay, well, I'm not going to get there if I don't set a goal for myself, whether it's physical, mental, emotional, financial, they all tie in together. And I always say, when we look around, some of us are overwhelmed, we have a mess, and the pandemic's just been a killer on everybody, literally and figuratively in some families. Mm -hmm. So. What is it that's important in my life right now? What do I want to keep? What do I want to get rid of? And what do I want to do? You know, now that I know that I have, as we age, we have we, we become 
painfully aware of the fact that we have a finite time to live. So what is it I want from that? And that will motivate you. You know, I'd like to get out more. I'd like to walk more. I'd like to travel more. A 10-minute walk a couple times a day will do wonders for you. You don't have to run a marathon. I know people look to me because I've engaged in so many extreme athletic feats, uh, but that little bit really does help. And I, I wish I could wave a magic wand and all that media Madison Avenue shaming would go away, but it doesn't. So you have to turn into yourself. So if you could be motivated by a goal, I think that would be your best bet. Mm, I like that. And something that helps me and I share, it's also visualizing the end. You know, yes. like I think when you don't want to go to the gym, uh, but you focus on how good you feel after you did go. Um, right. Or you don't want to order the salad, but you focus on how good you feel about yourself because you made the, a better choice, right? The burger or salad, burger or salad, and then you get past the decision, but you focus on what the feeling, like if you could sense the feeling of what that decision could bring you, then it, it almost helps you make make it. And then, and then it becomes easier. It's almost like starting is harder. But then you start seeing results of those decisions and you don't want to lose those results. So it's easier to keep it going. Would you agree? Absolutely. And I'll tell you something about, about food and eating and where we get tripped up. So if you go out and you are enjoying your friends, I want people to enjoy their meals. So if you say, I don't want the salad, I want the burgers and fries. Well, order it, eat half share it. Say to everybody at the table, what's everybody having? Let's all share a little bit of each other's food. I find we all order a lot less food when we do that. So my husband will get a fish and vegetables and rice. I'll get maybe a vegetarian platter and my daughter will get, maybe she'll get the burger and fries and everybody takes bites of each other's food. That's one way because, you know, sharing mm. meals with people, I think is the most therapeutic way for us to enjoy our families. Secondly, is take the time when you're eating. You know, there's a lot of discussion about chewing your food slowly, eating slowly, um, drinking water with your food. There's all these myths about it. Is one train of thought is to chew your food 40 times before you swallow it. Mm -hmm. So that's, I've, I've tried 25 times and that's a lot. So why do we say, you know, smaller bites, tasting, you're still getting the food that you wanted. You're still enjoying the event. You're still going to the burger place or the bar and just slow down. That's like, to me, the number one thing is while you're eating, while you're engaging in whatever it is you want to be doing, slow it down a little bit. Being pushy and aggressive and angst and, and competitive when you're young gets you to a certain place. And that turns on you when you get older. It doesn't work for you when you get older. In fact, It alienates people around you. It's harder on your body. And I think that goes for every aspect of your life, the way you eat, the way that you work out, the way that you engage in relationships with people, the way that you work. Let's sit back for a second and, and just take it easy because that will, will inform all the other aspects of your life. What do I want to do with my work? You may not have a choice right now. I think most of us don't. Mm -hmm. We have to work and we have to stay motivated in our work. But what it is, what is it about our work that we like and how can we maximize that? When we get a handle on those different aspects of our lives, it makes the other parts of our lives that we want to improve easier to approach. You just overall feel better about what you're doing and it helps 
every aspect of your body. Well, I, I think that's so right on. And what I love about you is that you intertwine so well those, you know, nutrition tips about eating, but also about living well. And yes. so, I I mean, this brings me to your book, which uh, I think it's brilliantly named Eat Well, Live Well, and Age Well. Thank you. And I think anybody that reads that, I say, yeah, eh, sign me up. But nobody can say, oh, I don't want to read that. So why don't you tell us a, a little bit about your book and and you becoming an author, anything you want to share about that? Sure. So that's another interesting journey, which I can't encourage everybody enough. There is room for everybody. If you want to write a book, a memoir, a cookbook, a story, fiction, short stories, novella, 700 page novel, whatever it is, business books, you know, there's, there's always room for that. Anything that you want to do, I think you should try it, you know, and try out there. Don't listen to that bombardment I'll never get an agent. I'm not famous. I have to go up against, uh, I'll, I'll tell you, share a story, how I got here. I was teaching at the Los Angeles Culinary Institute in LA. I have a degree in nutrition and food science, and I live in California. And I was talking to my colleagues that I'd like to write a small little pamphlet for five bucks for the students to really make the connection between going to cooking school and learning about nutrition and how you can execute that in a food service where the students were getting piles of books like we all do in college and the nutrition textbook they were getting didn't really match what they were doing in in the practical aspect of serving people and serving food and cooking. And I said, I just want to put something together that matches up. And a friend of mine said, well, in one of my women chefs group, there's an agent. Why don't you talk to her? And I called her. She wouldn't give me the time of day. She wanted nothing to do with me, which is what most non-known authors, that's their experience with an agent. The agent doesn't even get back to you. They don't even, nowadays, they don't even thank you for the inquiry. They, you, It's nothing, dead silence. And so it's like, okay, I'll just see what I can put together. And three weeks later or less, she called me and said, you know, there's a major publishing house in New York looking for an author to do a book on soy foods and they want the person to have a degree in nutrition and live in California. And we think, you know, you could be a candidate. And I said, oh, wow, okay, what do I do? Sign me up, you know, who know, I didn't even know the process. So she says, well, you have to write a proposal and annotated chapters and submit recipes. And my head was spinning. I had no idea how to do this. Mm-hmm. So she walked me through the process and she said, I want you to know, you know, you're up against two very well-known vegetarian cookbook authors. I was too naive to even know that that was important. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I, I was like, okay, fine. And don't hire me. What do you want me? You know, I'm yeah, a teacher yeah. in California. I submitted it and they picked me and it was Random House. And wow. it, I went on to write the whole soy cookbook. From that cookbook, it was all about soy foods. It was like an encyclopedia of soy foods. And it's still on the shelves today. Wow. And I took that book, and this is what I really, really want to share with the audience. If you have a passion and you have, you, you, ha- you know, just think outside of the box of what it is you're doing. I took this book and I went to the Soy Foods Association of North America and I brought the book and I said, I'm a chef and a nutritionist and a wellness expert. And is there something we could do together? So they hired me to be a chef for their um, meetings and their events, mm. which led to conferences. So we, they'd have a booth at an expo, and I would give tastings of my food, sell the book, and talk about the health aspects of soy foods. Then um, the Chicago Board of Trade 
did a big event with um, Archer Daniel Midlands, which was one of the biggest growers of soybeans in the Midwest, in the United States. And they did an event where they included me in this event where they had my books all over the Chicago Board of Trade and tasting of food. And we talked about soybean futures. And it was so out of my wheelhouse. If you ever asked me then, would I be on the floor of the Chicago Board of Trade talking about soybeans? Like, <laughs> but no you way. see how I took a cookbook, my expertise, and I turned it into a profession. And that was about an eight-year run. Mm. And in the middle of that, Katie Corrick called me because I, I had exposure and said, I want you to come on the Today Show and talk to us about soy foods. Incredible. So they flew me in, paid for my hotel. Again, those days are over. But my point is, I did the show. It was seven minutes long. Matt Lauer was involved. Ann Curry was involved. That set me on a trajectory to being number one on Amazon when that meant something. Of course. Well, um, it still means something. Still yeah, means but I know I know what you mean. Yes, yes. Yeah, Amazon was just a baby in those yes. days. And if you were num number one on Amazon, you were number one in the entire uh, repertoire of Amazon. Yeah, so and self-publishing wasn't as common. No, yeah. no, it's a whole different ballgame. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, then now uh, tons of books sold, of course. You know, they saw me on the Today Show. And then another publishing house, um, HarperCollins, called me to do another book. And, you know... You can't sustain that unless you just keep that up. And I, I was able to do it for a while. My last two books are self-published. One I just wrote, this gets back to following your passion. I wanted to do a book on healthy cooking that teens, parents and teens could do together. So my daughter and I did it together and we showcased it at our high school. Nice. And that wasn't a book that ended up on number one on Amazon or ended up on, I did some local TV with it, but it didn't end up on the big national shows, but it was something I wanted to do. So that's why I'm encouraging. If you have a business book, if you are an expert in welding, if you are an expert in woodworking, there's old hobbies coming back. I'm, a, I'm an avid knitter. Yeah. I've been knitting since I was 11 and then I stopped and then I went back. And during the pandemic, it became my thing. I just would knit and send scarves to people, whether they weren't feeling well or had a new baby or uh, something was going on with their family or they lost a family member. And I was recently asked to head up a knitting program to donate scarves to women who are going through breast cancer treatment. So now wow. we have a campaign going. So again, it just was a hobby. I love to do it. I'm not making any money, but now I'm involved in the knitting community, uh, separate and apart. And then getting back to where I think you should just center yourself, you, Letitia, and anybody who's listening, is a couple minutes of exercise, a couple minutes of paying attention to what you're eating. It doesn't have to be 24 hours a day. And pay attention to your perception of the world. How do you perceive the world and how do you feel you are perceived by the world? And that will change everything because you might hate the world, you don't like your job, life sucks, my city sucks, my world sucks, you know, I don't have anybody. Let's take a little bit of a time, a little bit of time at each piece of your life and say, you know, what can I do different? How can I improve it a smidge, just enough that I can start to see that there's hope and there's light in every avenue of my life? Uh, my father used to say, my father used to come up with some quotes and we always laughed at him. But, you know, now I'm finding myself, especially with him no longer here and all mm -hmm. these years later, using them on people, you know, mm -hmm. 
And one of them is that if when you're down, the only place to go is up. You have, and, and you know, I added on, and this came to me by turning 60, and now I'm 61. Mm-hmm. You have absolutely nothing to lose by mm-hmm. trying, right? So I have, I also host a show on YouTube called Eat Well, Live Well, Age Well. Well, now it's under Patricia Greenberg because I'm mm-hmm. just kind of using my name for everything, patriciagreenberg.com. And what I do is that I shoot for the stars. I, I reach out to very famous people who I think their lives are interesting. And if they come on, great. If they don't, I didn't lose anything. I just sent an email, right? Or picked yes. up the phone and said, I love your work. Would you love? To, would you like to come on my show? And a few people said, I'm not ready right now, but I'll get back to you at a later date. So stay tuned. I might have some interesting, famous people. And what I like to go after now, Letitia, is I love hearing from older people, hmm. especially elderly, elderly people who've seen so much change in the world. And so many things have gone on from people not having a TV in their house. You know, there was a time when... Yeah. Not a TV in every home. And people used to have to listen to, find out what was going on in the world by listening to the radio. And prior to that, in my grandmother's generation, people had to go to the movie theater and they had newsreels in the movie theater. So you didn't turn on your TV and get the latest news. So when you talk to older people and they tell you the changes that have gone on in the world in just the last 100 years, the last 50 years, in my lifetime, I couldn't even imagine having a cell phone that I could talk to friends on the other side of the world in real time. Uh, You know, we, we never thought any of this imaginable. Step back, listen to someone older, you know, listen to someone older and say, what was it like for you when you were 20 and you were 30? And conversely, I'd like older people to ask younger people, you know, how is it that you perceive the world? How do you see the world today? What do you like about it? What don't you like about it? And I think this communication among each other and communication among generations really helps all of us see the world in a much bigger way, in a much broader scope than just what's going on in our lives that right now today isn't going too well. Because remember, just because you're having a bad day doesn't mean your life is over, that you're having a bad life. It's just today. And it's one of the mantras that I talk about in my book is not to be irresponsible, take care of all the things you need to, but stay in today. What's going on today that we could make better? And what do we like about being in today? And what do you need right now? So... Well, so much wisdom. I mean, I'm liking all. I know I'm subscribing to your channel and I will definitely share that. I mean, you mentioned, but it will be on the show notes because I think you reminded me and I'm like you in that we connect, but I know that this is one of the points where people get stuck. You embody possibilities. You you embody possibilities. You, You don't rule out anything. I'm like you. I've had some of my biggest guest stars like you or other people that have come on the show it's out of the blue out of being called crazy and and I always say what's the worst that can happen is send an answer email or something like that so embodying possibility and really believing that the worst thing that can happen as you said is nothing and you keep on your course is a very powerful statement so thank you so much for reminding us all of that you're welcome and you know Letitia to add on to that is that I use the word cross-pollinate Like we all can help each other. Like you and I are talking. So I want to support what it is you're doing. And maybe together we can go to another person and say, hey, we'd like you to join us in our movement. And um, again, maybe they'll say no, maybe it won't work out. 
keep in mind, it's like I always say it's like the bad first date, right? You go out on the date, it doesn't work, shake hands and say goodbye. It's not the end of the world. And it's the same with a business relationship. And if you're embedded with something with someone or something and it's not working, be honest with yourself. You know, just say, you know, this isn't going well. Don't let it escalate to the point that you hate each other, right? Or that you hate a situation or that you hate your job. Try to address it early on. Um, that's another, I think, huge thing that I've learned as I get older that, you know, older people would say to me, oh, people lose businesses every day. Oh, people break up every day. Oh, guys don't call you back. That happens all the time. But at the time it's happening, it feels horrible. So if we can embrace the recovery of that a little earlier on, I think that that will save us a lot of anxiety. And um, you age better if you're not anxious and you're not upset. Yeah, that is great. That is great. So my last question in all my interviews, Patricia, is besides climbing towers and running marathons and meeting, is there anything else that makes you tick when you need to resource yourself and go back to your own basics and say, this is what I'm all about? Is there anything else that we haven't discussed that makes you tick? Yeah. You know what I like to do is I go, I like to, like you just say, you know, you visualize or see the, I really like to go back in my mind and say, okay, what was it as a child? You know, the, the, the feeling of I actually like nostalgia. I don't feel that you're stuck in the past. But I, even down to the way I dress and I wear my hair, it's like, you know, at what time in my life did I feel best about myself? And I try to take those things and incorporate it and say, I like the way my hair looks. I like what I have on. It's not in style. You don't have to wear it, you know? Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. just, again, wear the colors that make me feel good about myself, eat the foods that make me feel good about myself. So it comes back to, this level of comfort of not caring what people think. How many times can I say that over and over? So that's my go-to place. Doesn't matter what anybody thinks. We have to care what people think to some degree. You're not going to run down the street naked or, you know, but it's to just say what works for me. And when I circle back to that, I, I completely calm down. Mm. Well, that's, uh, again, another incredible piece of advice. So I really thank you for uh, this conversation has been incredible. I'm sure the audience will be thrilled. We'll be checking your your YouTube channel and your book. And I really thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Leticia. My pleasure. Wonderful conversation. Thank you. Bye-bye, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to Back to Basics. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook. If you haven't yet, subscribe Rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming platforms. This is the best gift you can give us. Join me next week for another Back to Basics conversation. And if you want to find out about other exciting things I'm working on, visit LeticiaLatino.com. Thank you and until the next time.